1: So, Jay, it's been a while since we've done listener mail. We've got uh, quite a backlog, as you might imagine. So I thought this week we on the show we would try to catch up on some of our listener mail. There have been some really great questions, some stuff that uh, I think people would like to get some get some answers for, or our viewpoints on. So uh, let's do that if you're okay. All right. All right. Away. All right. So let's start with Brandon from Moorhead, Kentucky, who writes, Thank you for the informative and nuanced political discussion. I discovered your podcast about a year ago, and I've been a loyal loyal listener ever since. Do you guys have any recommendations for how I could get involved with the political process in the future? I would be open to joining, volunteering, or maybe even working full-time for an organization that might provide opportunities to encourage progressive change. I think that's a great question now jay i you your uh your experience in in terms of getting involved sort of at the grassroots level in politics is is certainly greater than mine not for progressive causes
0: oh, oh i've been involved
1: yeah you've been involved <laughs> so i think you know if if you wouldn't mind, I think you should take the lead on this one since you definitely have more experience. What, what would you What would you say to Brandon? And I'm sure there are you know a number of other of our listeners who are interested in doing something like that, whether it's for progressive causes or, or conservative causes or you name it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, obviously, I'd say Brandon, I'm I just make sure re-examine your your commitment to the <laughs> progressive right. stuff. But but no, that's it. I'm 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 kidding. I think it's a good thing uh, when anyone cares enough to get involved. Um, you know, there, there's a, a lot of ways to do it. I, th- I think probably the best way is to find a campaign, a local campaign, uh, and and just just join in. Uh, people are always looking for help, especially uh, at the local level, um, and that's where you meet a lot of people who are going to be going to the state and national level. Uh, so I'd, I'd look around in the community for what's happening, and um, you know, just just take it uh, uh, a couple steps at a time and say, listen, hey, there, here's a. a uh, Uh, city council race. I could get a mayor's race. I could get involved with, uh, here's a, uh, um, uh, you know, perhaps a state representative race and, and, you know, start getting to know people and, um, you know, show up to the meetings and, uh, bring some skills. I I think that's the other piece is there, there's, if you really want to do something, uh, it's important not only to have the drive, but to also have a skill set that you can, you can help and be of benefit. So, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, where you are as far as educationally, what your background is, what you studied, what you're, what you're good at, but, but take whatever that is, uh, and, and, you know, try to make that sort of a value proposition to whatever these organizations are. Uh, if you're a good data uh, analytics person, great. If you put together good spreadsheets, if you're a good graphic designer person, um, there's, there's places for there. If you're a good writer, um, strategist and so forth, um, I think that's great. And, And the other important thing is when you get involved, uh, you know I, I think a lot of times it's it's important just to sort of sit back and watch and listen and learn uh i've learned so much uh through so many different campaigns and and from so many different candidates and campaign managers and so forth uh just by sort of keeping my mouth shut and listening and watching what happens and and uh i think it's it's a a great thing to do um there are also you know plenty of uh places you can uh you know intern that's another good way to get involved. Uh, you know, again, if you're in school, you can get school credit for it. Um, uh, but again, either the state or the the federal level, uh, those opportunities are out there. So uh, I think that's great, and uh, I wish you luck. And and actually, I mean, if you have, if there's more information or we could point you in the right direction, I think you know we'd be happy to do that.
1: Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. Next we have Tyler from Salt Lake City, Utah, who writes. I was very happy to see a new episode in my, feed, in my feed this morning. I was starting to get the shakes from withdrawal. That was after our break, obviously. Oh, thank you, Tyler. Um, yeah, it was nice to hear that we, we're, we are popular enough that some people might miss us when we're gone um, on break. I, and Tyler continues, I'm a software engineer who's, con- who's contracted with the DoD, and I'm pretty familiar with cybersecurity. I actually went to the same tech groups as Snowden when I lived in Hawaii, though, of course, no one really gave him a second glance back then. I still think Jay's downplaying the hacks and that he's still insinuating that the RNC having better cybersecurity was the reason there were no GOP leaks. That's just utter bull. A major state cyber power like Russia would have no problem hacking into something like a corporate network and email system if they so desired. Even the big boys in the cyber espionage world get hacked. There's just too many vectors to completely protect against. The NSA and CIA have to go to pretty extreme lengths, such as having multiple layers of more restricted networks based on classification. And from the report, they did target various GOP figures, but never leaked any of that info. Hell, they were targeting Democratic candidates at the House level. To think that every GOP candidate from the House to the Senate to the presidency somehow had better security and no damaging intel than their Democratic counterparts seems or strains credulity. So, Jay, I don't know if you wanted to to, to comment on that, on uh, on Tyler's view of that, but
0: uh, well, I, I will. And I'll say first of all, my my comments were based largely on uh, these are reported stories uh, primarily coming from Wall Street Journal and Washington Post that discussed uh, the Republican security and and sort of attributed it to being better than uh, what was at the DNC and that that cut down on on the leaks and we can I can find those stories and get the links to them um, but I think the other big thing is if you look at the biggest Democratic vulnerability uh, seemed to have been John Podesta uh, who fell for you Clicked know on a link. A really yep yeah it's just sort of a really simple you know almost uh nigerian prince type type scam um and uh open something he should have uh that was something that wasn't that that uh uh, uh, uh you know technical well, he, wasn't he did huge. check
1: and there was a snafu there and so forth a miscommunication but but yeah supposedly and again if you read the
0: those actual emails it 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 doesn't really his, his story doesn't really jive but but regardless uh that was sort of they they kind of came in through the front door there, and that was that was the biggest leak. Of once they got into his system, uh, they had the access to this. Now, as far as the Russians targeting other uh, races and so forth, sure. I mean, I, I don't. Again, I'm I'm not clear exactly what the Russians' plan is. Uh, obviously, but uh, uh, you haven't had you your know, weekly I, meeting with Putin yet. Is that I, that what you're not, saying, uh, I have not. I have not. So. I think it was more targets of, of opportunity and there was an opportunity there. But look, I, I respect that you've, you've got the expertise in this and I don't doubt for a minute, uh, that big state actors do try to, uh, do massive hacks of, of government, uh, quasi government, uh, and, and private computers. Uh, again, I, I'm tangentially, uh, sort of involved in, in some, um, uh, cybersecurity, uh, legal stuff, um, so yeah, I, I'm I, I agree with you completely. The problem is out there, and it's huge, and the capabilities are huge. Um, so, uh, which which to me is is all the more reason that that a place like the DNC ought to have beefed up uh, its security better. Okay. So, but uh, but I appreciate the comment. And I appreciate the comment. And and again. Um, you know, we we appreciate the expertise that our listeners bring uh, to, to what we say.
1: Yeah, we have we have a, a fascinating, diverse group of listeners who have all kinds of all kinds of great skills and and can and can offer all kinds of interesting insights into things that the JRI might not necessarily have had, and we we definitely appreciate that. Okay, next we have Ryan from Williamsville, New York, which is, uh, he tells me, a suburb outside of Buffalo. He writes in with a clarification. Um, Ryan says, I'm a fairly new listener. I came over from Dan Carlin's interview, which was a great interview I was able to do with uh, uh, the hardcore history host a-, a while back. And And Ryan says, I've been enjoying the show and appreciate the time you take to give your points of view and defend them with rationality. When you were discussing the Trump press conference, and specifically the CNN article that led to Trump lashing out at the network, I think there was some confusion on what exactly CNN had written. CNN posted an article about the presidential daily briefing containing a summary of of the Steele dossier. The entire article was a factual report on what the PDB contained. BuzzFeed released the dossier, and then the rest of the media weighed in on their thoughts. I've seen this ambiguous ambiguous attribution made all over the place, so I completely understand the confusion. A lot of the critical articles are referring to the dossier released as a CNN BuzzFeed issue. Now, CNN obviously has been reporting and had commentators giving their opinion and analysis on the dossier since its release, but they did not release it themselves. And yet, you know, I, I thought we had made that Clear in in our discussion of that, and so if we didn't, certainly uh, my apologies. But but yes, absolutely, Ryan, you're right that it was BuzzFeed that decided to release this, and I think that was a very questionable thing. And CNN was simply just reporting on that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. He's exactly right there. Um, my if if I recall, uh, my criticism of CNN was that it essentially ran with that BuzzFeed story linking to it, uh, without conducting its own investigation to determine whether what BuzzFeed was reporting was, was, was accurate. Sort of like how? Yes, but yes, we, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And to the extent if we, um... Uh, made that unclear, uh, we apologize.
1: Yeah, it was very much like how in the late 90s, Drudge, the Drudge Report broke uh, unverified stories of President Clinton having uh, sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky. And once Drudge reported it, then all the other media outlets reported it just not not being able to verify that, which it turned out to be true, but uh, but simply just reporting it as something that Drudge had reported. So, um, yeah. all right. Next, we have Lynn from Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Uh, she has a comment about the podcast and our newsletter. Uh, Lynn writes. Okay. I agree with the recent reader feedback that you got about the newsletter. This was that we should include more links to stories and analysis pieces with our explanations as to, you know, why we think these links are valuable and where, where the stories might fall short. But she goes on to say, both of you should share your recommendations for further reading. Reading. Let us know the sources that support your views so that we can read further. I love the podcast and its straightforward, even-handed approach in debating politics. It's a refreshing change from the sensationalized news media. You go, politics guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so – you know, we have talked about this a little bit in the past, but, but I think, you know, this is a good thing to revisit because, of course, we have some some listeners who may not have heard that episode and, and some new listeners since then. So I'll start with myself, Jay, and then, then you can kind of explain to people how you go about getting your sources and verifying stuff and so forth. Uh, I, okay. I start every day with The New York Times. Uh, it's sort of, if I read nothing else, I'll read the New York Times, and then I'll move on to 538.com. That's one of those data journalism sites, and then uh, New York Times has a data journalism site called The Upshot. Uh, after that, I'll check out Vox, but, you know, more and more, I found, well, kind of less and less that I think is really good. I've talked, I've talked down Vox a whole lot. I won't do that anymore, but... Uh, there's also a guy named Jonathan Bernstein who's a political scientist. He blogs for Bloomberg View, and he's really good. He has a daily links thing that I almost always find worthwhile. Uh, there's one other thing that I do on a regular basis, and this is new since the last time we talked about this. Um, I've created two different Twitter accounts aside from my regular Normal everyday Twitter accounts. So I have a handful of Twitter accounts now. But one of these specialized Twitter accounts has hundreds of political scientists, economists, and law professors who I follow. And that's all it has. Then the other one has hundreds of conservative columnists, conservative thinkers, conservative opinion makers, that sort of thing. And I use this great app called Nuzzle, that's N-U-Z-Z-E-L, to pull out the most tweeted content from each of these accounts. And that gives me, I think, a really great sense of what's going on in these two really important and really different communities. And I found it incredibly useful. It's amazing, just on a daily basis, where I pull up these two and I see... How different the political world looks to conservatives than it does to academics who are, you know, really pretty much liberals essentially. I, I, this has been really useful to me, and I'm hoping in the near future I can find a way to make this available to politics guys listeners who might be interested in accessing this kind of thing.
0: So that's my routine, Jay. Wow, I'm going to sound like a real slacker compared to you. Um, but partly in my defense is is that you know part of your job is to I'm a political uh, science professor, so yeah, yeah this so is what I do for a at this living stuff all, all day. Uh, I can't necessarily get away with it at, at my workplace. Um, I, I think my my favorite source is probably the Wall Street Journal. That's probably where I would start. Uh, I I look at articles on in New York Times and Washington Post, uh, sort of as they tend to come up in, in my feed. If it's something that's that I find interesting. Um, Again, I think you know from a news reporting standpoint, uh, the Wall Street Journal has has pretty much spot on good reporting. Uh, uh, also covers a lot of things, obviously the financial stuff that uh, in greater detail that I, I think really impacts politics in ways people don't see or understand. And I think it's it's good to get that that view that uh, in some ways economics drives politics rather than the other way around. Um, I also, of course, love the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, uh, opinion page and editorial page because it is sort of a center-right type uh, type viewpoint, uh, free trade type viewpoint, uh, sort of traditional conservative. So that's where I come down on a lot of that. As far as opinion stuff, um, I think National Review has a lot of stuff uh, that is good, and well done. Uh, Kevin Williamson, I think, has done some really great uh, pieces over the last year or so and has really... Um, Emerged as I think one of the, the real significant new voices uh, there. Um, I'm trying to think who the other uh, folks I really like a National Review are. I, you know, I, I shy away from a lot of the other so-called conservative sites, um, uh, you know, Red State, uh, Federalist, and so forth, um, just because I, I tend to find a lot of what. What they, they put to, out, they're kind of inflammatory. Yeah,
1: they tend to be more sensationalist. I was, I was thinking that too. But, but yeah. National Review, I think, is is much, much less so than a lot of those other sites.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there is a there's an argument that we could have with some folks as has National Review Online gotten too clickbaity uh, compared to what it was, you know, again, a generation ago in the Buckley era. Well, sure, of course, um, yeah, it's and and different. and I, I suppose well, everything's gotten more clickbaity. Since exactly, then. Uh, yeah. but. Uh, no, I, I think that is still as far as um uh, uh, you know reasoned reasoned opinion it and really sort of shows all different sides of conservatism. I mean there's there are some plenty of never Trumpers there and, and some some you know maybe Trumpers and some uh uh folks who are all in. So I it gives sort of a, a good you know broad yeah. range of, of views. Um gosh, what what else? Um you know, again, I guess it's just regular news sources that that, uh, that, that are out there. Um, for legal specific stuff, I mean, I have in, in my feed stuff that comes up a lot of uh, American Bar Association and National Law Journal stuff uh, that are, are specific to, to legal issues. Um, I tried to read the uh, Volokh report, which is a legal blog, uh, when I can. I, it's one of those things of, you know, when time permits and there's, nothing, sure. or there's something that I'm really interested in, I'll go there. Uh, and I think that's a really, or the, the Volokh conspiracy it's called uh, and I think that's a really good source um, I think Politico does good reporting um, and that, that's about it so I but I feel like a lightweight that you've got all these you know well, like said, that science you it's know, my full-time job so you know analysis people but, well
1: you know like I said it is my full-time job but anyway I think that's a
0: great question I, 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 and let I let me, let me no let me kind of throw one, one more thing yeah go ahead we're, I'm probably running along on this question but uh, you know one of my the, the big things that I do is you know like anyone else uh you know, on Facebook or Twitter, wherever you are, these things come in daily and you see this, this story. Uh, I mean, I try to make it my practice of if there's anything that either seems to overly confirm my, my worldview, uh, to take, to check it out, to say, look, is this, is this really right? Uh, or is it, or is it too good to be true? Uh, and likewise, uh, I, I tend to take a, a critical view, uh, if there's something that, that strikes me as this can't be right, uh, I I go and I, I dig a little deeper and try to get another source and again whether that other source is New York Times Washington Post Politico whatever to see if they're reporting the story in the same way. So I, a lot of times I, I think that's that's what's important is for those types of stories um, to to go and get a second opinion, if you will, and it's it's easy to do in the in the digital age. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Okay, um, let's move on to
1: Dave from. Dublin, Ireland, uh, believe it or not. All right. Yeah, one of our many international listeners, actually. Um, Dave writes, I have a query about the supposed relationship between Putin and Trump. I'm currently in graduate school studying international politics. During the course of my studies, I naturally came across the realist school of international political scientists, political science theorists. For most of them, the current tensions with Russia are in fact the United States' faults rather than Russia, although none of them say Putin is a nice guy. Um, By encroaching on Russia's sphere of influence through NATO and EU expansion, the West has threatened Russia. Therefore, Russia has actually reacted in a way that would be expected, invading uh, invading Georgia, invading the Ukraine. Much of this has occurred during the Obama presidency. Would it be such an awful thing if Trump had more respect for Russia and didn't anger it in the way that Obama, Clinton, and Kerry have over the past eight years? This is not to say that Putin is a good man. Of course he isn't. But when you poke the bear, don't be surprised when you get a reaction. Therefore, could a cooling of tensions under a Trump administration be a positive thing? Even if the logic that Trump em- employs is probably not guided by the Political Science Academy, yeah, certainly, could it be a good thing? Many thanks and keep up the good work. What do you think, Jay? Well, that,
0: that's, that's, that's a really good question. I think that's that's a, a really good, thoughtful question. I I, I mean, I, as, as someone looking, if you're talking about realist school, um, I think a lot of times you look at what... Can what objectives can our our our, our nation uh, accomplish, and what are the cost of those objectives? Um, you know, I think we were we were living in a different situation uh, during the Cold War, where you had a communist ideology that that was sort of bent on on expansion, and in in dealing with uh, Putin, it it's it's you know less ideological and more just. Uh, I don't know whether you want to call it. Uh, Personal, personal hubris, or as 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 he points out, maybe just defending what has been the traditional uh, Russian sphere of influence. And I think there's there's a lot to be said that what Putin is trying to do is to bring back uh, the Soviet Union that was was lost in in 1991. Um, you know, as to whether it's it's the Americans' fault that uh, they angered it, I think that's a that's a different question. Um, but I, I see there's less. Um, Need to confront Russia than there was during the Cold War. Uh, that doesn't mean, however, though, that, that we turn a blind eye to things like aggression in the Ukraine or to uh, Russia's trying to expand its sphere of influence, or at least maybe still defend it in places like Syria uh, and defend our spheres of influence in the Middle East. Yeah. We- so, yeah, so look, if if we can get along with Putin uh, to the extent that uh, uh, you know there was sort of a, a détente, I guess. Sure, I suppose that's a, a good thing, uh, so long as uh, it's not a situation where uh, the Russians are continuing to expand their influence at the, at the expense of, of the U.S. or the West. So yeah, and, and I think so I, that's that's a that's a good thing. And and again, I I have no idea what um, Trump's relationship with with Putin is. I mean, it's been played up so much that oh, they're they best buddies and so forth. I, I I certainly don't think that's the case. He said things that are complimentary. Uh, maybe perhaps less of Putin and more of just uh, of of Putin's strength. Uh, you know what I mean? He he appreciates him as a as a strong leader because that's something that that Trump respects. I mean, Mike, I, well, we could, we could point out this way. Um, although when I say this will be after the game, I mean you can appreciate that the the New York or the New England Patriots are a a very strong football team. Uh, even though there may be a lot of qualms about, well, they're uh, they're So yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. right. I say this as a Steelers fan, so they're, you know, they're but still, still a very much a winning team. So
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, and I think that's what I really like about Dave's question is it it takes something we've been talking about and and turns it, gives us a different perspective, a different way to look at, it. and of course that's something we always try to do on the show to question our conventional wisdom and 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 the way we're looking at these things, and and it's well, especially when we talk about foreign policy, uh, we here in the United States tend to see the world, understandably, I think, from a U.S.-centric view and what are our interests and you know who's provoking us and so forth. And, and I think that makes sense. We certainly should do that. But of course – it's important, too, to try to get into the heads of the uh, of other countries, of other actors and try to see the world the way they do that. Now, we may not agree with that view, uh, but I think it's really important and helpful for us to do that. And so that's why I think that was a really great question that Dave asked. And, you know, it prompts us, I think, to look at look at the world in a slightly different way. And I think that's a positive thing.
0: And one more thing as a, as a kind of shout out to Dave, um, you know, the question sort of takes takes the approach that foreign policy a lot of times happens because of nation states and, and uh, geography and economic interests and is less dependent on personalities. Uh, and I think that's a mistake we too often make uh, here is that our foreign policy is driven by the personality of, of uh, people who are in charge. Um, a lot of times these conflicts, these flashpoints, uh, go back to much bigger, bigger pieces and, and things that would have happened. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I, I think the tension with Russia would have escalated over the last eight years, uh, regardless of, of whether Romney or Obama were president. Um, in my sense, R- Romney might have been more, uh, more strenuous in, in opposing it and might have um, uh you know, pushed back harder, but but I think that that tension still would have been there, just because these are structural type things. Same thing goes for China. Um, it it's not so much a matter of uh, our view of China or China's view of us. It's it's a matter of economic realities, geographic realities, and so forth that drive these these conflicts.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Uh, I think maybe I would. I would perhaps say that, that Russia might be slightly different just given the nature of, of of Putin and his hold over the country. But as a general point, I think you're absolutely right, and I think the media oftentimes makes this into a, sort of a clash of personalities thing when, when these deeper structural issues aren't really uh, considered uh, to the extent they are. Though I do believe that people in our foreign policy establishment are absolutely considering these issues, to, but just the media doesn't report on it as much. All right. Yeah, because it's boring. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Next, we have Brad. Brad doesn't mention where he's from, uh, but uh, Brad, I'm sure you're from somewhere, and sorry I didn't get your uh, your city and state. Anyway, Brad writes, I've been listening to your podcast for about six months now, and I want to say it's a refreshing change from many other political podcasts I listen to. I have a couple of questions on the podcast from January 15th. First, I would like to understand why Mike believes it's a good idea to better the relationship with Cuba. They are still a communist state and oppress their people. I, I may not understand this area to the fullest, but feel like feel like better a better relationship is no different from bettering the relationship with Russia. I understand there is a lot of investigations going on with Russia currently and how they are accused of affecting our election, but ethically, Cuba is not any better than Russia. Second, with the fake news, there's been a lot of fake news stories this year, and I gather that on this particular one, meaning the Russia story, Mike is on the side of believing that it's good fake news, whereas earlier in this political cycle, Mike felt fake news was bad. Why is this fake news okay? Should we all be striving for the truth and not spreading unverified stories? Again, I really enjoy your podcast, and I want to hear more. Okay, well, I think you know those are some reasonable questions, Brad, and I guess... Let me start with the the fake news thing. I certainly don't think fake news is okay, no matter what. And if I gave that impression about the Russia story, that was me perhaps misspeaking in the moment, not having enough caffeine or something like that. But but no, I, what I was trying to say about the Russia story was that I certainly think it's important that these things become uh, that these things are investigated if there's any credible evidence. But I am absolutely not in favor of any fake news being or irresponsible reporting. Um, Now, as to the the larger question about differences between Russia and Cuba, my stance on on Cuba and opening up relations with Cuba is that we have tried a certain stance toward Cuba, uh, basically isolating Cuba, uh, and we're essentially the only country that does that. We have tried that for generations now, and it has not worked. And my belief is that if we want to see positive change, we need to try to make some steps to open up. That is, again, not to say that we agree with Cuba. It is not to say that we condone their many human rights abuses, but that we make it possible to talk and to uh, – to. well, I mean, we, now we have an embassy there for the first time in since the, the 1950s essentially. I think that's important to keep lines of communication open just like – we have lines of communication open with Russia. We did when they were the Soviet Union, even though they were our implacable foes in, you know, in more than a few ways. We always tried to talk and kind of keep that those lines of communication open. That's why I think that's important, and that's why I think what President Obama uh, did with Cuba is, is a positive thing, and I hope that continues in the Trump administration. So I hope that answers yeah, your I- question,
0: Brad. Go ahead, Jay. Well, I want to I want to weigh in a little bit on on what Brad said about Cuba and what you said about Cuba, and, and that is, I understand the idea if you if, if engagement uh, is positive and will further the interests that we have, and those interests being uh, expansion of human rights, uh, a, a free uh, Cuba, uh, expansion of trade with Cuba. I think that's that's super. If if what we're saying is that the prior policy wasn't working and this will work, uh, I I. I understand where you 're coming from, uh, my difference would be i I think the steps we 've taken so far have not been uh, to expand uh, human rights to expand trade and and to you know have a, a, a better better hemisphere and the other piece that i and I wanted this kind of ties into the uh, Russia bit that we talked about a little bit ago um, and and spheres of influence and uh, sort of where foreign policy meets morality and to me often what what you do is look you, you do the best good you do the most good you can where you can do it and to some extent as a matter of uh, uh reality um we have to put up with a lot of uh, what the russians do or the chinese do the things that we find to be uh immoral unethical and and unacceptable just because that's that's the power relationship we don't have the 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 power to take on the russians uh, cuba i think is a different situation uh, it is a, a you know right next to to us it's within our sphere of influence we could uh, affect a, a lot of economic power a lot of political power uh, that we would bring to bear and not have any sort of negative consequence against us so it's it's sort of you know look it's one thing to say you you you're choosing to avoid fighting the the real big guy uh, who's the bad guy but but uh look the little bully uh, you know if if you can do something about it then you ought to so uh, that's that's what i understand you know his his point to be on that is uh cuba and russia are equally bad uh but i think we can we can do more uh to make cuba better without uh, without consequence than we can yeah. russia
1: and and my my argument of course in a nutshell is that we we tried to do that and it's had absolutely no effect and so now president obama are before he left, President Obama tried something different, and I hope that works out. Okay, anyway, um, this is kind of a longer. This will be our last uh, bit of listener mail. Well, it's kind of a compilation of things, but um, it's uh, I think it best best sort of summed up by Camilla, who sent us an email with the subject line, While I Why I Will No Longer Listen to the Podcast." Like, well, OK. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Well, anyway, let me let me read you part of part of her, her email. Uh, she writes, I've been listening to your podcast off and on for a few months, but I'm sorry. I can't take it anymore. I think Jay is is contrary and just supports Republican views without any willingness to step away from his ideological stance and see the bigger picture. He downplays anything that might be problematic with the Trump presidency and his cabinet picks. He downplays the danger of having a president that enjoys authoritarianism and is sexist, racist, and a narcissist who thinks that he is so smart that he doesn't need to listen to anyone else or do any kind of research to understand an issue. That's Trump, not you, Jay. Um, it's, (laughs) it's, It's tiresome to listen to Mike try to make sense of things, and I hear Jay shrug it all off with a tone of smug arrogance. As far as I'm concerned, Republicans just keep proving over and over again that they don't care about anything other than money and how to accumulate it, even if it destroys lives. I have not only unsubscribed, but at this point I have gone ahead and deleted the podcast from my phone. Go ahead and accuse me of not being willing to step out of my echo chamber. But you know, but you know what? Being outside of one's echo chamber should be about an exchange where both sides listen to each other not one where republic where the republican entrenches himself in his ideas and refuses to budge and just attempts to justify his ideology meanwhile the democrat is left being polite and obsequious because he is the host um now before i i, I definitely want you know you respond wow. where, to your, where's the love camilla well I mean, well you yeah. know i want to say that uh But there have been a number of listeners who've commented and emailed with similar sentiments. There's one more. I just wanted to bring in a a longtime listener, friend of the show, Marcus, who, and I won't read his whole email, but he writes in part, Jay's reticence to criticize Trump embodies the larger trend we are seeing in the Republican Party. Jason Chaffetz attacking the ethics chief for pointing out Trump's myriad violations. Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell's ongoing deflections from engaging in anything close to criticism, the deference being Paid to Trump and Trumpism by Fox News, etc. Indeed, the principled conservative brand has in many ways forfeited itself to Trump's ideas. Republicans have shifted away from supporting free trade policy, have become more supportive of Putin and Russia, and seem to be migrating away from the values of small government. More than anything, my entire adult life, I have believed that Republicans adhered to a set of principles, even if that came with a political cost. Even if I disagreed with many of these positions, I had sincere respect for them and believe that our country is better off for the debates they fuel. Yet the results of this election seem to be that Republicans are much more concerned with aligning to Trump's perspectives rather than holding him accountable to the office and Constitution I thought they revered. To put it simply, I guess I expected more. All this said, as someone who listens to these podcasts free of charge and has been incredibly appreciative of both the perspectives offered and the time spent offering them, thank you both. I promise you that my criticism is born out of an appreciation for the discussion you have brought to all of us and a continued aspiration for it to continue in its ascent beyond its peers. So there's a lot there. Um, Jay, I, I think, you know, obviously we should we should start with you. Your
0: thoughts on uh, on this. Yeah, I've been I've been taking some heat. You uh, have you have in these letters uh, for for sort of being in the tank for Trump, um, which which, uh, you know, look, I I find that really sort of odd. I I think I made it clear throughout the last year I am not a fan of Trump, uh, either on a personal level. I don't think he has the character that uh, we would hope for in a president Uh, and from a policy level that I do think he has stepped away from what has been traditional small government conservatism, uh, which is, uh, you know, it entails things such as uh, free trade. Um, uh, so I, look, I I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I don't really get where that's coming from other than to say I, I will defend uh, Trump against attacks. I think that are unfair. Um, I, I will say when I think he's made a good choice on a cabinet pick, uh, For example, that the conservatives should be happy with Uh, and I think an attorney general and at uh, Commerce, uh, those are those are picks at least that traditional conservatives uh, ought to be cheering. Um, You know, in in terms of uh, other Republicans bowing to Trump, I mean, this is the the bigger question. There's there's sort of a a just real political question there. I mean, he is, in fact, the president. Uh, He did, in fact, get the votes. Um, there were a number of traditional conservative candidates uh, who I would much rather have seen be the nominee uh, who got beat. Um, so, you know, I I think there's there's sort of just a the fact of this is what what these what Paul Ryan has to deal with. Um, it's not the world that they would have would have wanted, but it's the world that they have. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if you want to be be uh, critical of, of some of that. I think that's that's fair and hold their feet to the fire from an ideological standpoint. That we should still be pushing for, uh, you know, again the the typical type of uh, small government uh, conservatism that that the party had had come to uh, amplify. But look, I mean, you also got to got to face the reality that Trump is in fact now the president. Uh, in a lot of these fights, uh, whether uh we we want him to be or or not uh he is going to be the the better alternative uh to to what's coming down the pike and uh uh so i you know i i don't know mike you can you can comment on this because maybe you know me commenting on on what i said is is maybe i'm in my own echo chamber, but my sense is that that i've i've not uh gone over to the trump side and uh, nor do i intend to well i i think maybe that in a sense, and also one more thing, I don't want to interrupt sure. you. shut right. up. And, shut up and be obsequious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, you know, part of the podcast is to offer differing views. Uh, and there are times where Mike and I, I don't want to say disagree for the sake of disagreement, but we we disagree because we want to present both sides of the argument, uh, and that may or may not reflect uh, where we are personally. Um, but we're just raising the argument to say, here's what. What the counter argument to that would be? Um, and, so and, I, I yeah. think, you know, because otherwise we, we also had, had criticisms early on of of uh, geez you guys agree on too much uh, the show's too boring sure um, so we we want to avoid that and strike a balance where look both sides are are getting some representation and uh, and what you know, while we, sometimes while we... I have that sometimes I represent unpopular clients so. <laughs>
1: Well, I think what we try to do, uh, and, and maybe we don't do it perfectly, and I'm sure we don't do it perfectly, is when we present views that are alt, that are Differing views that aren't views that we necessarily personally hold, we try to make that clear. Now, maybe sometimes that gets a little lost in the shuffle. Um, but uh, but I think you're absolutely right, Jay. Now, uh, as to that larger issue about what Republicans are doing, because while well, what you're doing matters, what you know, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are doing matters a whole lot more, obviously. Not that you're not very important to me, Jay. Um, but uh, but. I think what they're doing is they're being they're being pragmatists. Uh, you know, they're they're your ideological Republicans, your 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 Rand Paul types, maybe your Ted Cruz types, Jim Jordan. Yeah, your Jim, Jim Jordan. and And those are the people who don't get much done. They make a lot of noise. They generate a lot of heat. But the people who
0: – They do, as he pointed out, though, drive the conversation to some extent. Sure. But go ahead. Yeah.
1: But the people who get stuff done are the Mitch McConnells uh, of the world. And and I think what a lot of these people see and there are a lot of these people in the Republican Party is they, they see somebody who's very unschooled in politics, somebody who they believe might be amenable to the last person who he hears from, someone who can be – manipulated if you want to use that word uh and and someone that they can use to help
0: influenced would be better there you go influenced i'm
1: sure uh, donald trump would like that word a lot more or convinced uh to to enact an agenda that they have desperately wanted to enact for the last eight years and now they have a situation where at least for the next two years they have a majority in both chambers of congress now they don't have a filibuster proof majority in the senate that's going to be a huge problem but they have more control over the levels levels levers of government since they had since the beginning of the george w bush administration and so they want to take advantage of that and do as much as they can for what they believe is the good Of the United States. Now, I profoundly disagree with a lot of that, but I think that's their viewpoint. So they don't see it so much as capitulating. I'm sure that on a personal level and that in a number of policy issues, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell view Donald Trump with incredible distaste and, and even disgust, but they're working with what they have to try to move their agenda forward, kind of holding their noses and kind of trying to work with the man who, as Jay pointed out, is, for better or worse, the
0: president of the United States and and they think they're going to again they don't have much of a choice but they're going to get more done on uh, on their agenda working with Trump than they will with Nancy Pelosi.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that, that about does it for, for this uh, listener mailbag episode. I think there was a lot of good stuff in there. Um, and if you, of course, have a question or a comment or a correction or you just want to take one of us to task for something, uh, send us an email. We're at mail at politicsguys.com or you can message us on the Facebook Politics Guys page. And while we won't read every email or message on the air, we most definitely will personally respond to everything that we get. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any questions for future episodes, again, mail at politicsguys.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash page. You can message us there. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening, and sharing and reviewing or retwe- retweeting, sorry, our new post, our new show post. You, re- you
0: could review it too. If yeah, you want. Review.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Pass it along, basically, that does help out. And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the PayPal or Patreon links on our website. And finally, if you enjoy the show, you should check out our Politics Guys weekly newsletter. You can take a look at previous newsletters and sign up to have it delivered to your email inbox on our website, politicsguys.com. We'll be back with a new show next Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.